On this week's general admission, we are very excited to be joined by Tom Denny, where we get into his time in A Day to Remember, the songwriting and production he's done for other bands since then, and some exciting news about what he has planned for the future. We also discuss the Nightmare Revisited soundtrack, Parkway Drive's latest album, Darker Still, Four Year Strong's re-recording of Enemy of the World, and some general edfishing. We wrap up with some news, and we try to help a listener out of a concert predicament. Okay, let's do it. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. It was. Now, apparently, Mariah says it's her season. <laughs> we have to start listening to All I Want for Christmas is You now. She tweeted that like at like midnight. <laughs> no way. That's I kind of respect it. It's got it's got to be like one of the biggest songs, maybe not in the world, but at least in the country. <laughs> but it shouldn't start being played until after Thanksgiving or on I, Thanksgiving. I'll give I her on Thanksgiving. But I've already seen Christmas trees and Christmas lights in the world. Yeah. So they probably saw her tweet and were like, "Oh shit, we better start decorating." It makes no sense though. <laughs> Like I can't, I couldn't buy Halloween blowups in Lowe's in the beginning of October because all the Christmas stuff was out already. Well, Mariah's spoken, so you need to respect that. She needs to respect spooky season. <laughs> it is spooky season. We we discovered this Nightmare Revisited album from 2008. <laughs> Very Which timely. Which made my Halloween part. It's so good. So I always knew Rise Against uh, did the Making Christmas cover. And um, we were watching Nightmare Before Christmas like this past week. And that song came on in the show. So then after I put on the Rise Against version, and I realized it was attached to a whole album. And me and Brett listened to this Nightmare Revisited album a whole bunch. And it's I wild. Believe, I can't believe I've missed this corn <laughs> like kidnapped the Sammy Claus for years. Right? This it's is the literally been like version. over a decade. <laughs> this is the only version I want. Corn was made to play this song. And they, they really were and the breakdown in it. Oh my god. It's so good. Like they should have just put this in the show. <laughs> this and the and the Marilyn Manson version of This Is Halloween are those are the two most played singles. Yeah. And I think it's it's rightfully so. Um well, shout out first to uh, let me get his name right, Danny uh, Danny Elfman, because he wrote all the songs and the score for Nightmare Before Christmas, and he did the singing voice of Jack. So that guy is kind of a legend because that's a lot of work, and these songs are great. I think he does a bunch of other movie soundtracks too. Probably that would have been a good idea to look that up beforehand. Pretty sure he did Beetlejuice. <laughs> I might be making that up though. But that, it would make sense because you have that Tim Burton connection. Yeah, he he did. I I did a quick a quick goog we while go. we were talking. He did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Edward Scissorhands, um, Corpse Bride. Um, if he did Batman, it's not on the very first okay. page of Google, which is as much research. Prince as Prince did doing. the actual soundtrack, but I don't know if he did the music. Ah, uh, yeah, this guy. This guy did an animated Christmas Halloween movie, and now he has Corn and Marilyn Manson covering his songs. Oh, he actually has a song on this. Closing is just him. He like narrates it. Yeah. 
what a great voice this was so cool though um it was all over the place too like amy lee was on it flyleaf was on it um rise against like i said uh plain white tees all american rejects this might be like my favorite all american rejects song <laughs> i don't listen there. to it i still like i still all like american swing rejects. swing that's a good and one. the last song the last song might be my favorite it's called the last song yeah on that i think it was a self-titled first album uh before they got like really poppy i never listened to a ton of them but i like this one because i feel like it's uh i forget his name he has like a cool name though um doing like his best like gerard way used impression he just has that like theatrical like emo thing going on for jack skeleton yeah so i'd like to live in another world where all american rejects just did black parade type music maybe they do i don't listen to them enough to actually know so i don't think they do <laughs> just a hunch there <laughs> just a hunch yeah that's fair there are some cool stuff on this though this one band um amina something like that it was just like a really cool like big theatrical it had like i don't even know Vibes. how to describe this yeah yeah it it was just really cool it had like this synth that would like do this really cool like high-pitched noise and i don't know they just really like set a mood with dr finkelstein in the forest there were a couple of tracks on there that were like all instrumental which i was surprised by but some yeah. of them were a little too long like like two of them were like seven <laughs> minutes hey and another one was like nine minutes but it was all instrumental the yoshida brothers are incredible <laughs> i actually listened to that whole seven and a half minute one and i didn't I did plan too. i didn't plan to i was like i'll listen to this for a little and then i'll skip and just never wanted to skip but then oogie boogie was instrumental after that too and they True. saved like the lyric version for the end which i don't agree with should have flip-flopped that yeah gotta oogie have those boogie words like a flamenco take on oogie boogie it's very interesting the bonus track version was very good though i didn't i didn't make it that far you didn't listen to the whole thing? I listened to the whole thing, but I listened. <laughs> the first time I listened was while getting ready to go out for Halloween. So it wasn't a, I wasn't um digesting. And then I put it on again on Halloween, but I didn't make it to the end. I think I made it to Plain White Tees. I listened to the full thing. Many times. I'd listened to Corn and Marilyn Manson a bunch. <laughs> that one, how could you not? Yeah. Oh, Danny Elfman also does opening on it. But yeah, great, great Halloween album. It was a lot of fun. Not all, there's so many Christmas songs, but then when it comes to Halloween, like I don't know if there are a lot of Halloween songs. I'm not familiar with them. Just like the Monster Mash <laughs> and the Ghostbusters theme, <laughs> yeah, and the Halloween theme song. Yep, those are the three. Those are the only three songs that have anything to do with Halloween. And the Time Warp from uh, <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh yes, yes. Um, we had. We had some other albums this week, too. It's a busy week, surprisingly, after we thought nothing was out. Well, I think we're almost a month behind with one of these, but... <laughs> and we're... a week behind with another. No, it came out Thursday. All okay. right. We're not behind on that one. Which which one do you want to go into? Start with Parkway. It's we're All a little right. behind. Yeah. So, Parkway Drive, the Australian metalcore band, put out... um. Where where's the name? Where's the name? Darkness something darkness? Darker still. Darker still. Yeah. Uh so I always like heard of these guys, but I never listened to them a whole lot. 
I remember them being like around for Warp Tour back in the day. What's your experience with Parkway Drive, Brett? So that's when I first crossed paths with them when like Horizons, I think, dropped in 2007, I want to say. Yeah, that album was really good. I listened to that a few times. (laughs) And then I got really hooked on them. They dropped Deep Blue in 2010 or on Warp Tour that summer. That's the first time I saw them live and they were incredible. And then I've been hooked ever since. I feel like they're one of those like metalcore bands that actually like they're really talented musicians too. Yeah. In addition to like and they had like Winston McCall, I think is the singer's name. And his screams are like up there with the best. I think we talked about this when they went on hiatus in the spring, and I guess like they mm-hmm. came back really, really quickly after making that announcement. Yeah. I found uh, uh this um Australian ABC News documentary that had them in therapy and like all like talking it out together and they kind of broke it down and this band has been through some shit which like i didn't realize like they're all they they're all like australian like surfer dudes self-described surfer bums from the documentary and um they took their name from like the street where their rehearsal space was and there was this live venue called the parkway house and um yeah, they just they just started making this music, which wasn't like too big in Australia at the time. And then it just it, they started getting a following. And in 06, they flew to the US. They recorded um, Killing with a Smile with Adam from Killswitch. And it just kind of like took off from there. They joined Warp Tour in 07. Um, they signed. So this I thought was really cool. They had a bass player. Um, Cashy was Sean Cashy was his name and um he left the band because he was having a kid and just like decided it, it wasn't for him and they replaced him with one of their friends well one of their mates as as they put it and he was their merch guy um Gia Pi O'Connor and he didn't even play he never played bass in his life and they're like we don't care like you're our friend like we want you in the band just figure it out and that's how that guy got in the band and that's that's how exact same story of how I started playing bass for a band in high school. So props to this guy for just being told bass is easy and then realizing it's not. <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> no, you really need to like have your timing down to play bass. So he he picked it up and uh, just kept going. But um, they put out that hiatus thing that we saw in what do we say like April. Something yeah, about it. I think it was April. I think it was like one of our first shows. Yeah. And they sh- they just came out and like straight up said like, we were complete dicks to one another for decades and we needed therapy to avoid the band breaking up. So like they did that and they put it all out on the table. And like a big thing with this band was they all had other roles in the band. So like um, Luke was managing... Winston was doing like press stuff. Jeff was producing. Ben was making movies. Like they put out a few DVDs about the band. So like what they were all getting paid was different because they all had different roles, but they also had one of their own guys in charge of it. And Gia, the bass player was just listed as a subcontractor for 17 years. And he didn't get like an equal cut to any of the other guys are making. And this like came up like in this video and like their therapy and stuff. And he was, and they were like, 
we think it's time that like you're officially in the band, which is like that's crazy. crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but he's getting his his fair cut now. So like, I think it's just cool how like open they were about this because you know like there's like that bro culture, and I would think especially like in Australia, like a lot of a lot of tough guys. Like this isn't really something that's probably normal to open up about. And they did what they had to do and like saved their band. So it's pretty cool. Like I have a ton of respect for them for doing that. Like a lot of that came out on this album too. Like you could tell like it was coming from a place of struggle, but I want to say they came out better for it. I think this is easily one of their best albums they've recorded. I think it's very different from the earlier stuff. Cause like there's like no unclean, there's no clean vocals whatsoever. On the earlier, on the earlier stuff, stuff yeah. but now like there's some. It's like not the greatest singing, but it's still like it's a good change of pace, and I feel like it shows them maturing as a band. But yeah. the musicianship is still there. Like there's some heavy breakdowns. The guitars are still top notch. Yeah, breakdowns absolutely. are of course there. So, <laughs> I think that's a that's a really good take on it because it's been very like split between like the fans on really, but. Because a lot of people think they're just changing their sound to like make like arena rock songs. I wouldn't go that far, right? Like I don't. I mean, do they listen to arena rock? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they they see them dropping the screams and think it's just them trying to appeal to a larger audience. Which even if that's the case, like, is that so bad? You have six or seven albums of like heavy growling, and if they want to sing more cleanly like bands are going to grow and change and it's just like a story of every band ever yeah. that's been around but like go listen to deep blue and tell me how you can sing like that for 20 years you can't <laughs> there's no like his growls are like they're earth shattering they're like next level in this genre and i don't blame him if he wants to sing a little bit to like save his voice because you can't do that forever and he did not hold back ever so i don't hate the the clean vocals at all i think it adds like a nice different touch to the band and like the heaviness is still there like they didn't kick that to the side at all yeah no it's it's definitely still like metal at its core like the guitars and instrumentals all have like those elements of of metal music it's just less growling not really a huge deal unless like that's all you care about yeah the one thing i did that did make me laugh a little bit, and I don't think this was intentional. And I wanted to tell you before we recorded, but I feel like getting your reaction live is much better. So the first track, Ground Zero, for some reason, it just sounds like this is what like a metalcore band of pirates would sound like. <laughs> like it had like it like the chorus, like the gang vocals sounded like very like, oh, we're on the deck of a ship in a storm trying to steal some booty. <laughs> it's like the vibes it gave off and like it I don't know if maybe that's just the way I was hearing it, like because the first time I listened to it. But <laughs> I mean, we we are in an, an era of sea shanties. It was very sea shanty. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> that's the word I couldn't find. And they grew up on the coast of Australia, so they are pirates. <laughs> maybe I'm onto something. <laughs> I I totally hear it now that you said it, but I definitely didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking you were going to try and do some sort of like Planet Zero joke, but I couldn't figure out 
how you would do that because the only similarity is just like the word zero. <laughs> very different albums here. I know. I was trying so hard. I'm like, what? Where's he going with this? Because this you one said, I probably like better than that one. You said it like I would have picked up on that. <laughs> but I did not I did not hear the pirateness, but I'm glad you told me because now I hear it. And it's way better. <laughs> sea shanties. Heavy sea shanties. <laughs> So yeah, that one was great. I really liked uh, Glitch. Thought that was a good one. Glitch is a good one. Yeah, they had a lot of good songs spread out throughout their albums, though. Because I, I was like, really like trying to listen to everything. I thought Horizons was was great. Um, Unrest off Deep Blue was really good. Then Atlas is really good. The album after that. I don't think the I song, made it to uh, Atlas. Dark Days is a really good song. By Pop. Wild Eyes. <laughs> Different dark days. This is uh, pre-pup. Okay. Uh, Pup got their inspiration from Parkway Drive. That'd be pretty cool if it was. <laughs> Land of the Lost. I liked Greatest Fear. They're awesome though. They gave me they give me big like Kill Switch vibes, which I guess makes sense because they they worked with Adam in the past, and it's the same like genre. They're just missing those melodies and the like. Yeah, yeah. Kill like Switch a- can be like really beautiful at times. Yeah, Parkway doesn't really have that element. I no, mean, they keep it guitar chord maybe, but not vocally. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But no, it was good. It was, it was a fun rabbit hole to go down for a band I never listened to too much, but have heard about for ever. <laughs> like since we since we've been going to these festivals, they were always a band that came up. I had to see them live again. I, the only reason I knew they put a new album out was because Starland announced a February show. Whoa, I was like, oh, wow. I thought they were on hiatus. And then I saw there's a new album that dropped like in the end of September. Oh, that would be yeah. a really cool show. I think there was someone cool, too. They were really good the first the couple times I saw them on Warp Tour. Oh, speaking... Now I'm looking at their tour dates. Speaking of Pirates, they are playing this thing, thing called Shiprocked. And it's a cruise to the Bahamas. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, it's with Memphis May Fire. Ah, uh, that is a good tour. That's a nice Starland show. It's the last. Oh, nope, not the last. Saturday, February 11th. I want to see more bands that I haven't seen before instead of seeing the same bands. I mean, I, I think... still want to see the same bands. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing some new ones, though. As I'm about to say, the Menzingers for like the 12th time, probably. (laughs) The struggle's real. Um, We had had another album, um, sort of. Asterisk. Yeah. So, Four Years Strong re-recorded Enemy of the World. And from what I understand, they re-recorded it because... Their original one is on a label that they don't, I don't know if they don't get along with or what, but the label has the rights. So like they can't do anything with it. They can't release it on vinyl. Um, It's on Universal. Yeah. Universal Motown Records. Yeah. And that was what, 2010, right? That was their third album. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So they re-recorded it and I, I think it sounds great. Like I didn't notice too much of a difference other than like, the guitars just sound like everything sounds kind of crisper, which doesn't bother me. But I know you're like you're a bigger four year strong fan, so I'm interested in in your take. 
was going to say the biggest difference was that there's no Josh Lyford. I got it right. I keep saying Josh Lyman from like <laughs> West Wing. But I know it's Josh <laughs> Lyford <laughs> was the former keyboardist synth player and he would do the screams in most of the st- most of the songs on like uh on this enemy of the world and rise or die trying those screams were him and then he pretty much both sides agreed to separate in 2011 or i'm trying to figure out the story i know friends of the pod dan dan <laughs> friends of the pod matt and frank know better than i do what happened here but basically i know Hold on. <laughs> Everybody, hold on. Hang on. Okay. So back. I'm taking it from Wikipedia. So here we go. So basically, Alan Day said that the new songs the band wrote around this time were diverse and the material is different compared to anything they wrote before. And they wanted to go in a different direction from having those keyboards and synths and make it more guitar driven. And they gave him the boot. Wow. And I think they're still not on like the greatest of terms. And I feel like the band is still missing his screams a little bit, but the guitars on this were turned all the way up and you can see how far they've come. And it's a lot heavier of an album too than the original, even though the original has those screams. I feel like they had someone else in studio to do the screams with them on this one, although I'm not sure who, and like, it wasn't as good on a, track two tonight we feel tonight feel alive and then but the scream was fine on uh what the hell is a gigawatt but tonight we feel alive the scream i didn't really like on the re-recording interesting but other than that i thought like it clearly shows how far they come because like this was like kind of around the time where they tried to make that shift into mainstream and made like in in some way shape or form yeah we talked about rob a couple weeks ago yeah but now they kind of went back to their pop punk sound and they're comfortable being in that sound and making that kind of music. And it shows. And I think it's a great re-recording. I'll probably definitely jump back and forth between the two. Like there are still moments of Josh screaming and those keyboards that like are were signature in those early four year strong songs. But I still really enjoy this one. Yeah, I I agree. I thought it was I thought it sounded pretty spot on. Like you said, um, I didn't notice the screams as much, but I didn't spend as much time with Enemy of the World as you did. Um, but I I thought it was great. I tried like like I put on uh, Find My Way Back and then I put on the original and I kept listening to them back and forth. And really wasn't much of a difference to me. Just like Crisper Guitars was really the only standout. I think the one that stood out to me like the biggest difference is the body that pays the bills. Like that kind of blended into Enemy of the World for me. Like every time I listened to it, like it, that wasn't one of the tracks I'd go to. But yeah. I feel like it getting reworked here, like it really stood out. And I think it's like a much better song than it was in the original. That's cool. I don't know if it's like something like how they produced this one or it just adding that heaviness to it just brought it to another level. Yeah, I mean, they have what, like, seven or eight albums under their belt at this point since they did that album definitely definitely a lot four or five one two three four five five yeah right so like they're they're seasoned vets at this point so i bet they're 
there was a lot like i wonder if these artists listen to these early albums and think like man if i could do it again i'd love to change like x y or z or like tighten this part up and they had an opportunity to do that which is pretty cool it's like what taylor swift is doing to get all her music back under her control she's recording all her old albums yeah my my, not to go on a taylor swift tangent but my sister was telling me she's like make sure you listen to like taylor song versions i was like what does that mean and she's like she re-recorded a bunch of stuff because the label like won't give them to her or something like that so she's dropped two i think so far that she re-recorded that's cool it's what a loophole like that artist can do this yeah it's so silly there's I wonder, no stopping it either i wonder how much you have to do like you have to re-record the whole thing i guess but if you don't make like could they just take all the tracks and like change like add a word to each one in the end and then mute it and say it's a new version but she has tweaked <laughs> the lyrics in some of them yeah so that's probably a way to do it. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. I like that the artists are taking the power back on these labels because it's like, what do you even need labels for at this point? You really don't. Radio is not a thing. You get pushed on Spotify ads. Yeah. Not <laughs> it. It is always interesting. The bands that get advertised at the top of Spotify. I got a push notification the other day from Spotify that a bunch of demos from the Beatles for uh, I think it was revolver were released, which actually was like an awesome push notification. And I want to listen to that, but I'm like, why is Spotify sending me like a text basically to tell me about something like get out of here. But I was kind of glad they did. (laughs) They send you like show notifications too. Like, Oh, this band you like is playing near you. Yeah. On this date. Yeah. And then, yeah. Like it's not even, it's not even, bad things like i want to know if a bunch of beatles demos come out or if a band i like is touring near me but i don't know so good old follow feature on spotify i think so invasive now (laughs) everything's gotta like be pushing their shit on you it's crazy but we had speaking of bands going out of their way to be noticed we had a band do the opposite basically (laughs) um We'll do some quick general ad fishing and then we'll get to our interview with Tom. But um, last Halloween, Fish likes to do like musical costumes. And back in the day, they used to just like cover an album on Halloween for the second set. And um, last year, they just did a whole new album that they called Sci-Fi Soldier. And it was like 12 new songs. And this past Halloween, they re they not re-released, but they released all like the demos that they basically like recorded to figure those songs out. But they did it under Sci-Fi Soldier. Like it has nothing to do with Fish on Spotify, which I thought was kind of cool. And I don't know. I just like that they're so goofy. It's just a weird thing to do. It's like they didn't want people to see it almost. I need to give this one like a deeper (laughs) listen. I kind of like crammed it after like I found out it came out. Yeah, there's not like too much to it to be honest um the first song knuckle bone broth avenue funky fish yeah and it's just just that name alone is like funky just to say but um like the set 
was an hour and this cd is 30 minutes so there's no jams on it no no and like some of them are only like under a minute and it's and when they played them live they were like 10 so this is really like kind of bare bones demos but it's really cool just like hearing how this all all these songs kind of started they have to drop the live version maybe next halloween it's it's if you have like live fish it's there but it's not on spotify it's just the 1031 21 show you can find it on like relisten or there's all these different apps but 1031 21 show yeah yeah and they released like a comic book with it of like all of them like i forget they had to like bring the funk back and like save the world or something like it's just stupid but it's just fun that's why it's called get more down yeah exactly <laughs> and that's why the album cover is like very comic-y yeah, it's very yeah they, they released like an actual comic book you could order that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it is pretty fun um and trey's guitar tone on this album is awesome just like real fuzzy and crisp and great crisp is the word of the day for guitar tones very crisp guitar <laughs> week yeah here on general admission that's right crispy guitars given to us um you want to get to our interview very Let's excited for this one one of our biggest yeah yeah all right we're gonna throw it over to tom and we're gonna talk some day to remember and we'll see you guys on the other side all right we now welcome on a very very special guest he's produced played guitar on and written songs for so many incredible bands from pierce the veil to wage war secrets neck deep and so many others you might know him best as one of the founding members songwriter and guitarist for a day to remember that's right you don't have to like him but you're going to respect him he is tom denny Tom, thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. How are you? Good, good. So good. I want to just kick it right off. Did yeah. you invent putting breakdowns in pop punk songs? Uh, <laughs> I don't Go know if like, I, I don't know if I did like per se. Um, I, I think we did as a collective. I did remember, you know, like I mean. Don't get me wrong. There, there were people doing it um, when we started doing it, but there just wasn't not a lot. You know, the, the bands that were doing it weren't very big. And a lot of people looked down upon it like it was like some kind of weird thing. Like, why would you mix? <laughs> um, but I think we were the first people to actually like take it and run with it, you know, like make it our thing, you know. So and it was yeah. kind of by like I didn't want breakdowns like I wanted pop punk. And like oh, wow. the other half of the band wanted breakdowns and they wanted to be heavy. And I'm like, like, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but let's just, I, we came to the conclusion that we, we have to meet in the middle. So we decided to basically just merge the two and see what can, came out of it. And that's kind of what happened <laughs> by <Wow>. accident. <laughs> I think it worked. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what made you lean like more towards like the pop punk side, as opposed to like having breakdowns? I just, uh, I don't know, like I grew up listening to melodic stuff, you know, like um, and when I was really young, it was like grunge, you know, in the 90s. And then I got into like skate punk and pop punk and stuff when I was in my in my teens. And I was just like, I, I was just in love with it. And, you know, and then like when I was in my early 20s, when Taking Back Sunday first came out and those kind of bands, 
the whole emo thing happened, I was just like, damn, this shit's so good. And uh, I just wanted to be in a band that was like really catchy. And I didn't even listen to hardcore until I was, until I started the band. I did remember, like, I, I didn't really know much about the hardcore scene at all. I listened to some death metal, like Cannibal Corpse and stuff when I was younger, but I really didn't know much about the hardcore scene until, until we started, like, you know, until I, like, started the band. It's, they, they were, in, you know, showing me their influences and, and really, uh, you know, showing me, like, music that I never really, because back then, like, the internet wasn't what it is today, so it was really hard to discover new music you kind of like, it was like a word of mouth thing or like your friends would show you new bands or something. It was just like, that. that's how it was back then. So it was really hard to like, really break out of the genre that you knew you liked, you know? And um, when they did, you know, I, I wasn't really like, it's not that I wasn't into it. I just wasn't, I didn't want to be in a hardcore band. You know what I'm saying? It just wasn't yeah. for me at the time when I was younger, you know? Things are different now, but <laughs> when I yeah when I first started the band, I didn't really want. I mean, I wanted I wanted to be an emo band, you know. I, I remember <laughs> literally, which is kind of cringe now, but I remember saying it all the time. And um, so yeah, yeah. That's well, <laughs> I mean that that's awesome. It's funny how how things work out. Yeah. It's one of the things uh, I always liked about your music, and it's kind of like a theme across a lot of the bands you work with is that contrast between melodic and then when the breakdown hits it's that much harder it's just yeah. like it's a really good blend um and you know i i i got to like when you know i, I said when i first when i first started the band and got um introduced to all this stuff i wasn't really into it at first and but it took me like writing and figuring out how to like Mish, you know, mishmash the two genres to really actually like appreciate it, I guess, you know, and and then I started to like it and it be, kind of became my thing after I left the band, you know, it kind of became my thing to like, not even just not strictly hardcore and pop punk, but any multiple genres. It's like, that's what I like to do. I like to mix the genres together. It's fun, you know. Now, is there like a certain like kind of chemistry in your head, like where like you can't go too much to one side when you kind of blend both sounds? I feel like it's like a delicate balance. Like some bands do it really well and some maybe miss the mark a little bit. But I feel like everything you've worked on, you've found a way to kind of mesh it all together and again, get that perfect like chemistry with it. Yeah, there's definitely um, there's definitely uh, a happy medium. You have to make sure. I mean, you can write the most pop punk parts ever and the heaviest breakdown ever and put it together as long as as long as like uh, the the feeling is the same you know what i'm saying like the the emotion and the music must have ha it has to match each other um i think where bands go wrong or songwriters go wrong um, when they try to do it is that they're just like they're putting two totally different um uh energies together and, and you have to like you have to make sure the energies are the same and, you know and I really think that if the energies and the the mood of the of the part matches, it can be any genre. You know what I'm saying? Like it can really be anything, and it'll work together. You know? Can you walk us through that process a little bit? Whether it's with a day to remember or any of the other bands you've worked with, like, do you generally 
start in one specific spot or does it kind of like vary from from artist to artist it some it, it kind of varies um i'd say most of the time i start with the chorus you know um sometimes i'll start with like a riff or something that i'll, I'll hear in my head I, I i do a lot of writing in my head before i even like pick up a guitar like i think about you know like i, I get I get inspired a lot by listening to, you know, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music and I get really inspired and I've like found a way to take that inspiration and think about what, how I, how I could possibly, you know, use that and, and write something new from the inspiration. And I'll think about it and I'll basically let it cook in my head, you know what I'm saying? And I'll think about what could happen. I'll think about the parts while while maintaining the feeling that the mute the song or part or whatever inspired me to begin with gave me and um and then i'll think about the song and, and you know it, it's like kind of in the back of my head you know like throughout the day it's not like i'm sitting in an empty room like you know thinking like, <laughs> but that's not what i do but it, i do i'm constantly thinking about new music that I haven't written yet. So by the time I sit down and I actually start to write something, I at least have a general, a general idea of what I want to do, you know? And then it, then it really is just kind of um, figuring out uh, how to, to get it out of my head and, you know, make it a song that people actually want to listen to. Sometimes I write really bad music and I'm just like, God, not translate. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what it is, but. <laughs> do, you, do you use uh you like use your notes app and voice memos and stuff for this because i'll think of melodies sometimes and then i'll forget them like 10 minutes later and be like damn like what what did i do before that sounded cool and yeah i'll do it. I'll, it I'll do that mostly for breakdown rhythms you know like i'll, I'll like think of like like a breakdown i want to i want to do or i want to possibly use sometimes i'll just pop in my head and then and then I'll come up with a really cool, intricate, like pattern, you know what I'm saying? That I'm not, I know I'm not going to remember. Yeah. So I'll just mouth it, you know, in, in, in my phone. Just so one day when I need a breakdown, I can just pull out that, da -da 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 -da. you know, it's like, yeah. it sounds so hard, but. <laughs> <laughs> you should just release a whole album of that. <laughs> <laughs> I should. <laughs> so. Um, I was looking at, I was listening to all your work the, like the past week or two since we've been leading up to this and before leading up to this because i just like music but um i always thought it was so cool on um on and their name was trees and how you guys have songs like like take heartless for example it's like super heavy and then towards the end you have you had me at hello and that's on like your first album like i feel like it takes some balls to put that song on there the first yeah. time like was there was that a was that a choice to do that or no, was there any, what, it just felt it right. Was, it was more ignorance than, than being bold. Uh, <laughs> we, it wasn't a choice. It's just, you know, when we first, you know, when we first started writing music and like, we, we didn't really have a plan, you know, like I said, like we, we came up with this breakdown pop punk stuff because, um, because none of us were happy. So like we had to like merge together, figure a way to make everybody happy. And on that first record, you can kind of hear, it's like, uh, 
we really didn't know like as a songwriter i i didn't really know what i was doing yet you know it took it took a couple albums for for us to figure out um exactly how 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 far we can go on the breakdown side or you know what i'm saying like everything i just said to you about balancing the parts i i had no idea what i was doing on that first record um it, some of it turned out okay it's just uh it was really we just wrote songs that we liked and they made the record like that's literally the end of it like there was no gotcha. thinking <laughs> there was no like master plan unfortunately <laughs> there was <laughs> but <laughs> which i could take credit yeah. Now, where would you say you figured that out? Would that, would that be like around homesick? Homesick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, um, the record before homesick, um, I don't even remember the name of it. I have so Does you ago. have a heart? There you go. So, so far. <laughs> that one was, uh, you, you can kind of hear the progression. It was, you know, we were definitely way more experienced, of uh, mixing the genres than before. I think the, you know, the first record we, I don't even I can't remember if we like knew we were mixing genres really we did obviously but like it was so different and so many people were telling us it was a bad idea it we like we weren't really embracing it yet um and then the next record we actually knew that it was working you know we got signed to victory like all these things were happening because we we were doing that and it was like okay well now we know it's working so we have to work more and put a little bit more effort into making the heavy and the poppy work together and then homesick we just had a lot more time um we had more time like an experience with writing those kind of songs and we had a lot more time to sit back and actually write music for that record and spend a lot of time making it work better than we did before. And I think that was the record where it was obvious. Yeah, this is this is how you're supposed to do it. You know, I'm really proud of that record still to this day. <clears throat> yeah. Still really one of my favorites. Of yeah. You, you mentioned how a lot of people kind of told you it wasn't going to work. And yep. I feel like that's kind of a theme in a lot of songs, uh, a lot of Day to Remember songs, how like people doubted you or uh, didn't believe in you with this and that and you guys were like sticking true to how you felt and just doing what you were going to do um yeah. there was a lot of that like um yeah i can tell you how much there was and you'll be underestimating it i'm I mean, wow. under under explaining it i mean it was it was uh everybody you know i mean we we were sh after we did and their name was treason we were shopping trying to get signed to a bigger label um, I mean, everybody said no. Every label you can possibly think of turned us down, except for Victory. And um, it, it was just, every, no one got it. You know, at the time, like, every, it was so foreign and weird, like, nobody understood it. And um, I don't even know that we did yet, you know. Um, so I can, I, can, I can see why back then people might have been <laughs> kind of, nervous about about it or or put off by it um but yeah i mean literally it was it seemed like uh you know an impossible like we were in an impossible situation because it seemed like nobody liked it but fans liked it you know kids were listening to it like people were coming to our show so obviously we knew we were on to something it just um everybody 
up top, like, you know, management and labels and booking. No one, no one that, no one really understood it or, or, or wanted to put the, or wanted to take the time to really understand it. Yeah. So I think it took like putting out a couple records and touring constantly and selling a bunch of records to really show or give people like, you know, a chance to be like, oh, maybe we should embrace this whole, you know, <laughs> hardcore thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You left. Well, you didn't leave the band, but you stopped touring after Homesick. And you mentioned the rigorous amounts of touring you did. And earlier, just hearing you talking about songwriting, it sounds like that's kind of where you always leaned. Um, yeah, so you you left during the Homesick tour, but there was no plans to to leave the band like because you stayed on right. you stayed on for common courtesy at least yeah yeah so so what was what was that process like for you like just kind of deciding not to tour anymore like was that just felt natural or was it yeah. a tough decision for you it was tough because you know i was basically taking a chance and um leaving right at the moment where we were getting uh we, we were making it you know what i'm saying like right right i mean this was right after homesick came out homesick came out it did really well um we were playing sold out huge shows like that we never did before this all this big stuff was happening and i just i just didn't want to do it you know i just was burnt out um I was getting married. I didn't, I, I knew for a while I was unhappy on tour. Um, I just kind of, you know, ignored it because it was just, it was a part of, of being a musician, you know, I was just a part of, I kind of had to do it, you know, but when that record came out and I knew that we were going to be on tour for the next like years, like forever, you know, I was just like, I put any more. I mean, I can't, I was so unhappy. It was like, it was a big decision to make, but an easy decision to make, if that makes sense for me, because I just knew it wasn't for me. And yeah, and Kevin's a better guitar player than me, so he uh, definitely, definitely made the band better live. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you, I mean, you look at Homesick and what it's about, it kind of makes a lot of sense in hindsight. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. How would you say you kind of like took that, ex like once you kind of stopped touring, like how'd you take that experience from like all your songwriting and everything with the data remember, like into becoming pretty much producing full time? Um, you know, I, I, when we were making Homesick, Chad from Newfound Glory produced that record. And I learned a lot from him in that experience. Um, Cause we never, we worked with Andrew Wade, but he was like a local producer at the time. So like um, Chad was the first person I personally had ever worked with. That was like, you know, kind of a big deal. He had worked with a lot of big producers himself and learned a lot from them. And so like when we were working with him, I was like really paying attention because I knew I, I've always known I wanted to produce and write music. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. So, you know, I was... I, I learned a lot from him. And so when I left, you know, I really like, I took a lot of inspiration from how I saw him, you know, uh, taking our, our, 
our bare songs and, and turning them into what you know now, you know, cause a lot of, I mean, that's, he did a lot of work on that record, you know? Um, and I didn't even realize that producers did that at the time, you know, and it was really eye opening for me and inspiring because I'm like, it, it, it just was like, Oh, a light bulb went off, you know, Holy shit. This is what producers do. I can, I can do this. I want to do this for other people, you know? And it just was like, it, it was, also one of the things that pushed me towards the decision of leaving the band you know it's like well, i want to do this i don't want to you know i don't want to do this i want to work with other artists and help them make good records and it's like that's the thing that i love doing you know touring is it's just never been you know it's never been a thing for me really um but but yeah so when i started working with bands it kind of just i mean it worked immediately because I, I, I loved doing it. And it was, you know, like when you start doing something, sometimes it takes a while for you to like, to like, Oh yeah, this is it. I mean, it was immediate for me. I knew I loved doing it immediately. Um, it, you know, it took a year, a few years to get decent at it, you know, but um, I've always loved it. I've always loved making records. So it was pretty seamless for me. What do you bring to the table for these bands? Like, what do they come in with? And then what do you do with their music to kind of help get it to that point of a finished product? I mean, I'm sure it's different for. Yeah, it's different for yeah. every product. Um, I, uh, you know, my main, my main thing is songwriting. You know, I'm, I'm a songwriter for anything. And I use that and I implement that um, when I work with everybody. So when I'm, if someone brings a record to me that they just want me to produce it and not write, I'm still technically going to be writing, you know, I'm going to be looking at it from a songwriting perspective and trying to make those songs, clean the songs up and make them as good as possible and as listenable as possible, as catchy as possible, you know, and whatever work I have to do, you know, I'll, uh, I'll rewrite parts, uh, anything I have to do to make the song a better song, you know what I'm saying? And how, how's that, um, how's that work with the artist? Cause I know like music can be a personal thing for people. So is it ever, is it ever awkward saying like, I like what you did, but I want to change it to this or is that just the deal? And everyone kind of agrees. It's to just, it. it's the deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, like, like anything, uh, sometimes somebody might get like attached to a part or something and it, and it takes a little prying and convincing to try to get them to understand that, you know, you know, we got to fix this part. It's just not working. But I mean, it, it very rarely, I mean, most people, all the people honestly that come to me, they come to me for a reason because they, they trust that I'm going to, do whatever i have to do to make the song better for the song you know what i'm saying so i pretty much it's it's always pretty much an easy you know easy work environment for sure sounds fun <laughs> yeah sure. i love it <laughs> now is there like any album or any song in particular that kind of stands out above the rest of like everything that you've either produced or written on um i mean yeah, uh, the neck deep stuff I really like, just because I, I love pop punk. Yeah. You know, I was young, and 
you know, the, the pop punk songs that I get to write for people always, they always stay in my memory just because I love pop punk more than anything. <laughs> um, and, you know, the Pierce the Veil stuff, because I love that band. I love those guys they are like really good friends of mine. So, yeah, they, they killed it last weekend out in Vegas. Yeah, I heard <laughs> the video at uh, Kellen Quinn was going around. They performed uh, King for a Day and stuff. Yeah, I saw that on TikTok. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the next the neck deep stuff is great. I was listening to Honor Bright a little bit. Um, I love that was the first record I ever did, actually. Wow. Yeah, Raft's record with the band. That was the first record I produced. So you're like, no, no breakdowns for a little bit. I want to just go yeah. to the pop punk. <laughs> yeah, like trying to stick to my roots, I guess. <laughs> there, there's some songs where I noticed you're on like just one or two on an album. Like I think there was a falling in reverse song you did. How how does it how do you wind up just being on one song? Do they reach out specifically for that song, or are you just around when they're writing? Um, yeah. So sometimes a band will reach out and want to do a co-write with me. And um it happens all the time, actually. It's always happened. Um, you know, I just write one or two songs with a band, and those are the songs that make the record. It's like a, actually a pretty common thing for songwriters. Huh. Yes. I mean, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll write or co-write a whole record for a band. Um, but some some people like to have a work with a variety of people or some people have their music already where they don't need a whole album written. Um, but, you know, a lot of a lot of bigger bands, um, they'll just want to write a couple songs together, you know. So will they come to you and be like, I have this song, but I think it could use a little more edge or a little something or is it just they just want to write most of the time it'll be from us we'll write from scratch oh great like a band will reach out to me or i'll reach out to a band that i, I really like that i want to work with and sometimes i'll write music that it, i'm literally writing for a band i haven't even met yet like i do it all the time like i'll, I'll like a band i'll listen to their music and then i'll write songs sometimes unintentionally you know because i get really inspired by music and i get really influenced and sometimes i'll just write stuff while like enjoying like listening to the band you know in that period of my life and then i'll end up with a bunch of songs that sound like them and i'll i'll reach out to them and be like hey i wrote some songs for you (laughs) (laughs) until that's happened a few times where actually and it worked out you know so i mean there's no right or wrong way of of right of working with people you just have to find find the right channels to go through and ways to do it you know yeah so i know we we've kind of talked about like blending the two like the hardcore and the pop punk sounds together i feel like one of the bands around today that kind of does it the best is wage war i know like you work with them along with jeremy so like two-part question here so i'm curious what it's like to work with wage war and also what it's like to work with jeremy kind of on the other side of the booth if you will um uh working uh with wage war was great they were when i when i first started working with them they were like just a local band from ocala and um they weren't signed or anything we worked on uh i don't know an an ep that i don't think anybody ever heard but the songs ended up making their first record and um and then we just kept working together and co-writing together um and working with jeremy was 
I was just used to working with him for, for years, you know, so it was just, it kind of just worked. Pretty similar. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. It was basically the same process as writing with Dan, remember, as working with anybody with Jeremy. I mean, it's just get in the room and write songs, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, though. I heard you mention how you guys used to write a gazillion songs just on the bus. You just write and write and write. Yeah. Um, what? How did you decide what songs were then worthy to take to that next level? Uh, it was. It was kind of like. I mean, it was pretty much like. Well, you know, we had a bunch of different people that would. You know, like me and Jeremy would write in the back lounge of the bus. And then Andrew Wade would come out and demo the song and then give his opinion on the songs, you know, on which ones were good. And then the rest of the band would hear and give their opinions on which ones they like. And then Chad would hear them and give his opinions on which ones he liked. And basically at the end, we had a, a you know, we would have like everybody's opinion on the songs. And most of the time they were the same songs and those songs pretty much would make the record so it was oh, kind cool. of like a group a group collaborative um thing you know for everybody to approve what they liked from what i remember anyway it was a long time ago yeah. i think <laughs> uh you, you cut out there for a second um, i think that went though from what i remember yeah uh, i just wanted to double back real quick because if i don't ask a follow-up on this i'm going to kick myself but you mentioned bands that you wrote songs for before meeting them. Like, who are some of those bands that you heard and just wound up writing songs for? Um, Neck Deep was one of them. I kind of knew I was going to... Um, I, I kind of knew I was going to be working with them. I knew that Jeremy was going to be working with them. And I wrote... I can't remember what song it was. Serpents, maybe? or i don't know um, i wrote yes yeah, serpents and gold steps smoothies yeah, I, wrote, I think i wrote serpents before and i sent it to them i think that was the song but yeah i don't know i don't remember if they were coming to me anyway or if i sent them one of the, i know i sent them stuff before they got to me but i don't remember if it was like a yeah i'm, I'm not sure that was like forever ago yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some other bands that would do that with. Did the word alive come to you or you found them? They came to me. Um, okay. They actually, I think, were also one of those bands I wrote. 2012 yeah. is such a great song. I know you worked on that one. Yeah, I wrote that song. I think that's, I, I, I wrote, I remember writing that song um, and sending it to them. Yeah. That, that, they were one of the bands that I wrote and, and sent it to them and then they came and we finished the song yeah I it, sometimes you know it, it really depends um a lot of times like you know the one of the bands I'll I'll work I'll write with and I'll send stuff to I'll either know already or like I'll know somebody that knows or know somebody that works with them or something so it's pretty easy to you know to get in touch with them and, and make it work that way i think it's cool how much crossover there is between a lot of these bands like um i know you worked with paddock park and then their singer 
was with Sleeping with Sirens at first, and then Woe Is Me and Favorite Weapon or another two. There's just yeah. all these crossover. Um, do you notice like why these guys jump bands? Like, is it just uh, the band kind of calls it quits, or the sound changes, or? Uh, I think a lot of times a member will leave and start a new band. That's basically how it happens most of the time, you know, or the band will break up and some members from the band that broke up will start a new band or, you know, and then some other members will start another band. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of bands that stem off into different things, they always pretty much stay in the same like circle of people, you know, they usually work with the same writers and same producers, you know, that's what most people do in the industry. You work with like your, your circle, you know, yeah. yeah it's cool like researching it always says like there's no bad blood like and i love that like these guys just right. want to make music and work with everyone and just seems like a great environment yeah for sure it's like seven stages of kevin bacon a little bit yeah really <laughs> like everyone's connected especially especially the art industry it's like it's you know it, yeah it's big and it, technically but like the industry itself is so small like I mean, everybody literally knows everybody or everybody knows, you know, people that know everybody, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I mean, I can think every band that I can even think of, I know at least somebody that, you know, works with them or it's a pretty small community. It's pretty awesome. All these bands in the genre, like, what do you think it is about a day to remember that kind of puts them on that next level where they're headlining festivals? They just... Because, I mean, there's a number of reasons that run through my head from lyrical content to just like the different sides of the songs. But curious yeah, what I th- you think. I think all of that. I think also a day to remember has been doing it the longest. Um, day to remember it kind of started the whole thing, you know, and um, the band is also really focused on um, touring a lot and putting a lot of effort into live shows, which has really solidified an audience that's probably gonna be there for a long time. And I think that's really what it is. And, and we made that decision early on, like we're gonna to tour a lot and we're really put a lot of energy into touring and going everywhere as much as possible because back then that's how you gained an audience. And it really, it, you know, it really paid off. So now you can make a TikTok and get bigger than you know you had to you had to fucking tour your ass off <laughs> would you say like the kind of the tiktok aspect might be like the biggest thing that's changed in like the last 10 years since like home or like the last 12 years since homesick came out like at least from like a producer standpoint like how much has music cha- like making music changed you know in the last I think, decade i think it's completely changed i mean okay maybe not making music but um consuming music what's really changed um you know, back then there was no streaming, no, no music streaming uh, apps or websites. Um, YouTube was like not really anything what it is today. There was no TikTok. Like it just was so different back then. And that's when piracy was like at its peak. You know, I'm just, everybody. Was, <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm not a millionaire right now because everyone stole everything. It's, <laughs> but now, like, nobody steals music because it's easier just to get on your phone on Spotify and listen to it, you know, not yeah. that Spotify pays or anything, but you know, <laughs> it's still, it's better than, you know, just piracy. So I think um, 
so I, I think the music industry is in a better place because of that, because more people are consuming more music, which is going to inspire younger generations to create more music. I, I, it's just, I think we're in a really good place for sure. Yeah. I, I remember just getting handed like burn CDs from like yep. different labels yeah. at festivals. Yeah. That's how yeah. you, that's how you'd find stuff. And now, yeah. now it's so much easier for artists to get their work out there, but at the same time, it might be harder to stand out because there's such, there's so much more content. That's, yeah. There's a good and good and bad. Uh, there's, you know, you can listen to anything at any time on your phone. And the downside is you can listen to anything at any time. Well, you know, so like you're not really going to be paying attention to like, you know, you're really just going to be listening to like the main stuff, you know, and I, and I think so it's really hard to it's harder to make it now. But, um, it, you know, you can still do it. You just have to work harder. You know, you have to figure out how to how to navigate through all the social media websites and marketing just there's just a lot that goes into this this stuff wasn't a thing back then you know it was just let's just go on tour and put records out and that's uh, it's like all you needed back then and you had to be good obviously write good songs but you know things have changed a little bit so yeah have you been following all the the drama between Ticketmaster and Blink tickets and just I mean Blink-182 wasn't the first band to have overpriced concert tickets come out, but it's been more in the headlines lately. I know yeah, you're look, not, you don't tour as much, but you still like kind of on the inside a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I saw something about it a little bit. I knew that they were, I don't know if it was them or Ticketmaster was like ripping people off, but probably Ticketmaster. Yeah. Kind of a mix. I think they have to allow Ticketmaster to do the dynamic pricing from yeah, in the band stuff. Of the, the pricing, I think. From yeah, like so, when you were when you were touring, like, and you guys are selling tickets. You're, I mean, what you were doing more smaller shows than than what we're talking about now. But do do you see like much from ticket sales? Or we always hear that like merch is kind of like the primary merch for, sure. for bands. Yeah, and it also depends. Like, if you're the headliner and you're playing. 3000 cap rooms you know you're gonna get back end you know you're gonna you're gonna get money from the door but and i mean you're gonna you know the bigger bands have guarantees that have to be met no matter what though but where most bands make their money is definitely merch that's like the money maker you know that's how any musician survives really it's selling merch on tour you know because like not a lot of people make money from music period you know maybe <laughs> Some people do, but I never did. <laughs> so I, it's a, it's always been like making money on tour. You know, that's like, you know, yeah. Which was like one of the downsides of leaving the band. You know, like it, it's it, you know, it, I I left the band and now all of a sudden I had to find different ways to make money and start a career that I hadn't really done yet. So it was. uh you know, it took some time, definitely, to smooth out the the uh, financial. <laughs> yeah, change. sure. And you stepped away from music like altogether for a little bit. Is that yeah right? Yeah, it took like three or four years off, and I just needed a break. You know, you know, I got, I got, I got really burnt out. Um, like really burnt out on music, 
and everything. I just needed, I had, I had to take some mental health years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> had some really hard years for, for a minute there. And I had to just get away and I'm glad I did. I, I took some time off. I got my shit together and I don't know. I'm glad I did because like it gave me a new perspective on music and how I write. And it really improved how I write music, you know, because you know, when you're doing something your whole life, like constantly, it's, it gets to a point where like, it's almost hard to appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it, it becomes monotonous. Yeah. And I love music. It's literally a part of who I am. Um, when I got to that point, it was so depressing. It, you know, it really fucked with my head. And I had no other choice but to step away. You know, I had to, I had to like forget music altogether. I needed a, I needed a hard reset, and and it really that's it like cured me, you know, cured my <clears throat> the, the the state that I was in, which was really bleak for sure. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I worked out and came out better for it. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Now, would you ever like consider like playing live again? Like, if it was like one show, like if there's like a 20th anniversary show for Homesick in Florida, like would you and the band asked you like would you go on stage again with them? <laughs> on the spot i'm just curious <laughs> i don't i don't know <laughs> i'll sleep it at that i don't know you gotta do you enjoy know, some parts of touring right like that's adrenaline I, on stage has got to be fun i enjoyed performing you know it, I, uh, as soon yeah. as I got on stage i loved it you know it's everything before and after that i didn't really like you know leaving my family and you know I'm like, I'm the kind of person that really thrives on like uh, um, a stable environment, you know, like I'm very like, um, like repetition almost, you know, like wake up, have my coffee, you know, sit at my desk and start writing or whatever. Um, tour is so not that it was just, it's just not, it wasn't me, you know, but I, I, I do love performing. So you never know. We'll see. <laughs> Are there any plans to um continue working with the data member on songs or is it just album to album if if it works out it works out i don't know um i think you know we've kind of grown apart musically so i mean you never know i'm never gonna say never but yeah as of right now i'm probably not yeah i really like the stuff you've been doing with secrets they're uh they sound they sound great thank you you just they just had an album come out was it yep this year i don't remember which month yeah it was a, it was a i don't know a few months ago have you been Mark. with them since the beginning yeah yeah yep that's since cool i only i didn't do one record when i was on my hiatus you know um but i've done every other record do you have any of the pipeline you're working on right now um you can say <laughs> yeah i actually have a new band that i started I'm not going to tour or anything, but um, I'm releasing music, which is coming out in November. So in a couple of weeks. Oh, band shit. Called, band's called Sounds Like Color. I can send you guys the, the EP if you want to hear it. Oh, yeah. That'd, be, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I'll send it to you when we get off of here. Cool. Um, yeah. How, how long has that been in the works? Um, I, You know, me and a friend of mine have been kind of just writing songs for it for like the past couple of years and uh we started by just writing you know like my plan was we were just gonna write 
and just build up like a catalog of songs. So, you know, when the bands approached me, I had songs, you know, but I like the songs so much. I'm like, you know, I want to release these. Like, I don't want to give these to anybody. <laughs> so I, I just decided I, I'm just going to create a project and release music, you know, kind of like an internet band, I guess. So. That's great. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have one other question. I know you yeah. worked on a lot of um, Pop Goes Punk albums. Yeah. Was that was that a ton of fun that you guys want to do that to where you ask like how did that kind of come to be and how'd you pick the songs you picked like the phrase song and uh was it kelly clarkson the other one since you've been yeah going? yeah and there was a secret song i did too um ask back home song um i love doing those kind of covers it was always fun to me it was like easy you know i i love taking someone else's pop song and just you know basically making it heavier you know, it's just always been like really fun to me. I still love doing it. I mean, people don't do it as much anymore because I think people got covered out, but it's still, I don't know. I just always love doing it. Um, when when we did the Frey cover, uh, they sent us like a list of songs to choose from. And, you know, that was the only song on that list that I was like, oh yeah, I want to do this song for sure. Um, I don't think the Kelly Clarkson song was actually on. Oh, no, yeah, it was like a bonus track or something. It's a bonus track, yeah. Yeah, on our own. Um, I I just wanted to cover a Kelly Clarkson song, so I used to love Kelly Clarkson. And uh, I don't know. I kind of, you know, I think we, like, were on tour, and I was kind of, like, jamming that intro riff, and it kind of just picked up, and we, like, started, like, playing it in, in, like, uh, sound checks and stuff, and... And then it ended up just making the the re-release or the bonus record. I can't remember what it was. Some yeah. some victory thing. <laughs> I can't listen to either of those songs without screaming the breakdown myself. Much <laughs> to my friends' dismay. <laughs> yeah, um, Brett, you you got got anything else for Tom? I think you answered all my questions. I had been a ton of things i learned today it's been awesome yeah oh yeah. yeah this was so much fun you've been such a big part of our our music journey since you know past 15 years or so so thanks for awesome. coming on and talking to us and thanks for having me yeah uh we can't wait to hear the new music and just keep seeing great stuff from you for sure yeah i'll send it to you in a minute cool thanks tom yeah awesome have a good one guys right, thanks again tom right. yep later And we're back. Thank you to Tom Denny for coming on the show. That was really cool. It's so cool to talk to him. He's a lot of cool backstories too. Yeah. Just so much like I uh, I never know with these things, like how much like a date remember we could talk or like stuff like that, but he seemed totally like cool to just talk about everything. It seemed like he had a really cool studio setup too. I kept like staring yeah. at his background the whole interview. Yeah, and the guitar is hanging next to him. It's definitely worth popping over to our YouTube, even if you just want to peek at the interview there, because he had a super cool studio with so much behind him, and he's like an awesome dude himself. He's all tatted up and everything, like just a really cool guy. Uh, yeah, that was that was a sick interview. Yeah, shout out Tom. Yeah, thanks Tom. 
and we got to talk about his new music but we'll wait till it's till it's out there very excited for yeah. everyone to hear that because we got a little little taste of it after our interview but i'm excited to deep dive the whole thing yeah yeah it's awesome it also makes me miss like makes me realize how much I do love streaming because like having to go into an email and click play on <laughs> five individual songs. <laughs> it's, I need this in one place. Yeah. And you can do like the thing where you upload offline songs to Your Spotify, iTunes. but it's just like a lot of work. Uh, what else we have going on this week? Um, we had, I had some news written down. Uh, we, we talked about, about T Swift a little earlier. But um, her new album is is crushing like the numbers. Um, there were two headlines: Taylor Swift makes history as first artist with entire top ten on Billboard Hot 100, led by Antihero at number one, and then led by streaming, led by streaming. Yeah, because because <laughs> it's like every song of hers in the top ten Hot 100, but like singles, I think used to be like a designated thing based on like if they were released on like a 45 or like whatever like i don't i don't know but like i think you had to specifically like release a single whereas this now you release a whole album but all the songs count as singles like i'm not trying to understand it i'm not trying to discredit her at all because like that's amazing numbers and like that is a huge accomplishment and I wouldn't be surprised, like, if the Beatles were putting out, like, if Sgt. Pepper's came out in an age of streaming, I bet the same, like, shit would happen. So, like... Yeah, because no one's skipping around. You're listening to that from track one to the last one. Yeah. So. Yeah. And um, her, the album itself, as the headline said, blasts in at number one um, with the biggest week for an album in seven years since... uh. Seven I think years. It, that's I think it was twenty twenty six. I think it was a Drake. I think it was a Drake album. Unless the singles was a Drake record that she beat, but was it? If you're reading this, Drake. Possibly that was such a good mixtape, but I don't I think know. It might be, but he's coming out with a album with a Twenty One Savage on Friday. So I'm curious if this oh. will knock her off or if she'll hang on. I mean, he's going to at least have one or two go- get in there. Like, it's Drake. Yeah, but what he does. I'm hoping that, like, he comes, like, he goes hard on this one because we both weren't really feeling his other album. So maybe he'll be like, oh, I did, like, my dance club album, and now, like, it's just going to be bars. It should be because it's, like, last movie, like, the one he did with Future was awesome. So I'm hoping it's like something like that. That'd be cool. Um, and then we also had Mick Mars is retiring from touring with for Motley Crue. That bummed me up. But also the band was supposed to be done like three years ago. So oh, he's probably really? like, oh, we did our farewell tour so I can at least <laughs> like go off in the sunset with the rest of my band. <laughs> but apparently they're not done. So he's like, all right, well, I literally can't do this anymore. So <laughs> that's what happens. These bands do farewell tours and then they get a taste of that farewell money. They're like, oh, well. No one said a farewell tour couldn't last like a decade. Just like Ask Elton John. He's been doing it for a while. I've seen like two farewell tours from him in the past 10 years. They do um, make but, money, but like at the same time, like live yeah. up to the live up to the tour. 
Yeah. I get like you miss it, but I I kind of agree. I could see it going on longer than a year, but like within reason. I don't know. But like, I love Motley Crue. They should probably be probably be done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the surprised. farewell tour where they ended in like a such a high note and now to come back, it's like Yeah. And they're replacing him with John Five, which is pretty cool. Who who's he from again? He's from Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson band. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a great guitar player. So like it's pretty cool. Apparently, like in like throughout the last six months, he's been posting like a lot of Molly Crew stuff. So like it's kind of coming as no surprise to people following. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I agree with you if you're gonna say you're doing a farewell tour, but then I also like just love the idea of these guys just loving music so much that they don't want to stop. She's a good point, but I don't know. I think I saw them like at least five times in high school and I feel like they were old then. And now it's like 14 years later. I to do, do my math in my head there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a long time. So yeah, we'll see how see how I it goes. Know. I guess we'll see where they're at in another year. Like I haven't seen them since those days because I feel like I'm like nothing's gonna top this then, and I already missed their heyday of the '80s. So like, yeah. they have, have you, nothing left to prove at this point. Have you seen the the dirt? The Netflix, I did. Yeah, man, it's so good. MGK. The book is supposedly <laughs> very good too. My my friend lent me the book, and I only read a little bit because i just watched the movie and it was pretty like similar so he pulled but, stories right out of there yeah so. but apparently the book has a lot more shenanigans so actually if you're, you're a want, wild like, man if you want we could just segue into uh our book club idea <laughs> no we said we're it's gonna a do good, it it's later, a good but, segue yeah so brett and i and hopefully some of our listeners who would be interested um, we're going to pick a music book and we're going to read it and talk about it. And if you don't want to read along, we'll read it for you. So everyone wins. <laughs> yeah, we can uh, we can chip away and like every week check in or every couple of weeks, however we want to do it. But we just we have to pick a book. Um, so we both came with like a few options. I'm not like married to anything. Um. The one I had written down was from uh, a Rob Harvilla episode. Um, he was talking about Alice in Chains, and he mentioned this book called Everybody Loves Our Town, An Oral History of Grunge by Mark Yarm. That'd be a good one. Uh, yeah, wrote that down. And then I wrote the Fallout Boy book down by Joe Troman, uh, None of This Rocks. And then... The last one was the first twenty-one. How I became Nikki Six. He has. I read his heroin diaries back in the day. Wow, that was a wild read. He's had like three New York Times bestsellers. I like Nikki Six. Yeah. Yeah. So those are. Those are my three, and hopefully we get to. More than just one as we go. I think we will. Yeah. Well, so you well, asked me this, and I had a. Yeah. So one of my favorite authors is Steve Hyden. Stephen Hyden has writes for uh, 
what's that called again? Uprox. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he also is the host of the IndieCast and he used to do Celebration Rock podcast, but so he has Twilight of the Gods. It's like about the death of classic rock. Oh, Brett is holding up a book. Twilight of the Gods. Based on the Dark Side of the Moon cover. Yeah, it has Dark Side of the Moon looking cover, but the the rays of color are words. It says a journey to the end of classic rock. Which I thought was an interesting concept, but it's like our people, like that's how we kind of got our intro to rock music. But who knows if that's going to continue in generations after? You know, that music just kind of, kind of float to the background and yeah, disappear you, a little bit. So that's why I wanted to read that one. Have you read it? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I bought it because I buy everything he writes just to support him. Nice. But they're kind of piling up a little bit. <laughs> like I have this new one that just came out this year, Long Road. It's all about Pearl Jam, and I love me some Pearl Jam. Ooh. So Another that's good also on my list in case you ever want to dive into Pearl Jam more than like 10. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of people go there and stop. That's pretty much what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great album. <laughs> it is a great album. Yeah. Cool. Those are so... my two though. And then I also have like the Beastie Boys book up there too, which I haven't read yet. Oh, there's some good options. I don't know. Um, we pick now do we do we discuss a little i think it depends on what let's put out, read we want because i feel like we just threw out like all different generations let's put up a poll and see let's what people it. say because could do those like insta story polls and i'm sure you could do a twitter poll we don't do much on twitter though but i'll put it that on phone instagram. really really behind on twitter <laughs> <laughs> i'll throw it on instagram and uh see what people think we'll narrow it down to like two or three Cool. Yeah, then we'll get the book up going after next week. So we'll talk about it on the next episode, which one we decide on. So we could finish Alone Tonight in October. Yeah. Yeah, which October's over, so I don't know if we're even allowed to finish it now. Oh, we are. <laughs> okay. All right, good. They meet at midnight on Halloween, so I think that gives us the first as well. Wiggle room. Uh, well played. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, we have a voicemail this week. Um, we actually had two voicemails um Vinny, if you're listening we're gonna play yours next week <laughs> i'm sorry i love you um <laughs> this one's from my cousin and he got himself <clears throat> into a little concert predicament so we're gonna see if we could help him general admission hello and welcome to my question all right so here's the deal uh, a few months ago, I booked uh, um, tickets for a concert for Luke Holmes. He's playing at the Mojico Sun in Connecticut. And the tickets for a set of two, which is what I was looking for, was like four or $500 a piece. And that obviously is not doable with inflation and everything. Um, so what I did was I found a section in the, in the arena that had two open single seats a row apart from each other. So I booked one for... Um, it was like section 23, row R. I don't know the exact seat number. And then I did a uh, section 23, row S. And they're not like directly in front and behind each other. They're kind of like maybe seven or eight seats apart between rows. But what I'm planning on doing is just bringing a couple extra bucks with me and trying to bribe whoever's sitting next to me to switch. Um, that's really the only thing I could think of. 
So the reason I'm calling in for you guys is to see if you have any ideas on other ways to go about this or have you ever experienced this before? Anything would help because if not, I'm going to be watching the concert alone like Steven Glansberg. So, yeah, anything will help. Thank you. Who is he seeing? I missed that part. He's seeing Luke Combs at Mohegan Sun okay. Arena. And um, <clears throat> he bought Great question, two... though. And I feel yeah. like it's a new problem with inflated tickets. Yeah. And he's not going to be the first person that starts to have problems like this. No. Um, it's a little tricky at first thought because we're talking two single seats here. So assuming no one next to him is there alone or no one next to his friend is there alone, they're not going to want to move. So my idea is this. You you show up and you make friends with whoever's around you like immediately. And it's something I always like to do at a concert because you're about to spend a lot of time next to these people. Asking them to get up when you want to go get a beer, or go to the bathroom, like just helps to like kind of say what's up. I usually like to ask, like, have you seen Luke Combs before? And they'll be like, oh, it's my first time. And you'll be like, oh, me too. Or they'll say they saw him and then you just let them like talk about how they saw him. So it's like pretty easy to like kind of like make friends around you at a show because that question usually like just gets the ball rolling nicely. Um, so I would do that. And then once like you feel kind of like cool with these people, just be like, you kind of just tell them like, hey, like my my girl's here, but she's in another seat. Um, I was hoping she could just like squeeze in for the show. And like if you're all standing during the show, like I think if you have one like extra person kind of in the row, like next to you, I don't think it'll be too noticeable. So I think that's your best bet rather than like getting someone to give up their seat because the odds of someone being alone are probably pretty slim. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Right? Because, like, I don't I don't know what else you can do. And there's no, like, GA in Mohegan Sun? I mean, there might be, but... He's but it's, like, $1,000. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, I don't know, offer, like, offer to buy him a beer, maybe, or something? Instead of just, like, try and give him straight cash, that might be, like, insulting. Yeah, beer is a good <laughs> trade, I feel like, especially right? knowing how expensive beers could be at shows now, too. Right? If you're going to try and offer someone a 20, like, that's basically a beer. I don't know. Yeah, I... definitely go with a beer over a cash offer. Yeah. Because I don't know what, what else you can do. Like, it's happened to me before at fish shows where, like, we just couldn't even get to our seats and we kind of just, like, tacked ourselves on to the end of a row and we, like, offered our joint to the dude and then it was like all was well <laughs> like i think most people are at a concert to have a good time i don't know uh what the scene's going to be like in, out there but i think it's probably gonna be like a big party right so most country shows are yeah so, so it like, shouldn't be an issue if they if he does what you just said yeah if everyone's like sitting the whole show then that wouldn't work but like that's not gonna happen right <laughs> yeah no 
definitely a bold move to buy like tickets that aren't next to each other, but it's an issue that is a thing now. Like we couldn't get blink tickets because we couldn't find two seats next to each other. Yeah. Exactly. We were both trying for like different parties and it still couldn't happen. Yeah. And this is going to be a thing now because it's people continue to buy tickets at these ridiculous prices and it's not going to go down. It's just going to keep getting worse. Another idea is you could get a really, really, really big cowboy hat, like 50 gallon minimum. Like the just, SNL one? Yeah, gi- gigantic. And then that'll establish dominance like right away. They'll be like, wow, this guy's hat is huge. The Burt Reynolds? So, yeah. And then they'll just like ask if you want their seats. You could try that too. Yeah, yeah. Big hat. Maybe the normal hat. It might upset the people behind you though if it's a really tall hat. So if you get a really wide cowboy hat, they're not going to want to kick you out of the section too. So, <laughs> true. <laughs> I don't know. Probably try the first strategy first and then you could try the hat. Yeah. yeah that's for the best. But yeah. it's, just, it's, a, it's a country show though. So I feel like people will be warm to the idea of you offering a beer. Yeah. Yeah. And to let her squeeze in, just like kind of a blending of those two ideas. Right. And like people are like moving around the aisle and stuff. I I don't think it would be too noticeable. Yeah. Good Good work. Good luck. Good luck out there. Can we get an update on how this plays out? Yeah. I I definitely want an update. I don't I don't remember. I I think it's uh next weekend. So it'd be two episodes. A couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. We'll also have a, a book picked out by then. So it'll be major episode <laughs> must listen yeah the exciting conclusion of the luke combs saga and we'll have maybe a... some more interviews by then though yeah see yeah hopefully we keep this momentum going and riding a good wave right now that's right that's right and we got to start prepping for some year-end stuff i know we're we got a couple months but oh speaking of not having reliable seats I still really want fish to happen. Um, keeping an eye on tickets. And my uncle really wants to go because we go to shows together all the time. He's been seeing fish since like before I was born. Um, and he thinks we could just buy like any seats and then just like wander the garden. Which is a true fish show is like an adventure. So it would be pretty, pretty good. It's just the the anxiety of trying because i've been in positions before where people not in your now i'm gonna contradict everything i just said but (laughs) when people not in your row just like decide they're gonna like post up there and it's kind of frustrating when it's a group i feel like it's a thing when it's one person yeah a little more yeah and it's also different it's not like someone who's sitting next to me in that row who i kind of know at this point so it's it's not the same but yeah I, I don't think I'd fully want to do that, but if you're down for Wednesday or Thursday, that would be a little better. And those are the days my uncle could go. We could have a little crew. We got two months. You can look at the calendar. Yeah, we got two months. We'll keep an eye on the tickets. I still think they're going to come down a little bit. But we'll we'll see. see. Yeah, we'll see. Because it's a mess out there. It's It's... It's a mess. Did we talk about this on on air? You said Taylor Swift was touring too. No, no, this was in our little 
intermission. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's touring uh in May. She'll be at MetLife with Phoebe Bridgers, which is an awesome opener. And she's got a couple different dates with like Paramore and Haim. It's a really good tour, but wow. I'm guessing those tickets are gonna be absolutely insane. Yeah, I bet. It's uh but we could see Parkway Drive at Starland. So we'll still have, I'd be open to that one. We still have club shows. We can rely on club shows. And then if your favorite artist gets too big, Sayonara. It, yep, it's Starland, <laughs> the Pony, Passive Independence. We need to missing some. A couple of New York clubs too in there. Yeah, Irving Plaza, Bowery, Webster. We need to Philly, Electric Factory, or whatever it's called now. Yeah. We need to normalize streaming these big shows. If you told me like I could watch like the Taylor Swift show at MetLife for like 20 or 30 bucks. I'd watch that. Have some friends over and like treat it like a fight or like a game or something. Like there's so there's... many artists I would do that for. That's why she hasn't thought of that yet. Cause I feel like she's like so about her fans that like, this would be right up her alley. I don't know if yeah. like, I don't know what goes into like what Fish does. But I yeah. feel like she definitely has the budget to pull it off. Because I wonder if there's any rights like with the venue where they're like, we don't want you to do this because then people won't want to show up. Like, does the venue people have that will be power? There. Like, Fish still sells oh, yeah. out. Yeah. People will definitely be there. I just wonder if the venue could shut it down if they wanted to. But they, they don't for Fish, so I don't know. I think it's something we might see more of, though. Especially after they did it with Kendrick last weekend, we know with ticket prices going up, and yeah. they're seeing fans get priced out. I'm sure that's at least in the back of their minds a little bit. Yeah, I would like to think maybe that's just maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but we just want music. We just want music. Give us the music and let us live pay our bills. <laughs> uh, um. So what's going on next week? So we have new Drake. Okay. Uh, we need like a, a new Menzingers EP that's not new, but it's going to be on Spotify finally. All right. That might be new to so, me. So Parko and I are going to the On the Impossible Pass show in Asbury on Saturday, which should yes. be amazing. Is that my ticket? No, he had another one. I sold yours uh, for profit. Thank you very much. No <laughs> You're everything that's wrong with this world. <laughs> No, but I only priced it like fifteen above, ah, like what I bought yeah, it for to get my get my legit charge. money back. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna price. I'm gonna charge like two hundred bucks for a House of Independence show. No, that's crazy. Like, so I want someone that wants to go to go. Yeah, exactly. So I did that with uh, Young Blood once. I I had tickets to see him uh, somewhere in the city, and I couldn't go that day. And I wound up going to another show and I posted online. It wasn't selling. And someone messaged me and like his fans are definitely like younger. And they were like, oh, like, is that ticket still available? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just wanted like 40 bucks to make my money back. And they're like, oh, like, I thought like you were giving it away. I misread. And then like a few days go by the day of the show comes. I still haven't sold it. So I just hit that personal hit them up. And I'm like, here, like, just take the ticket. Have fun. Just gave it to him figure like maybe they'll pay it forward or, have or cool the juju story. comes back yeah maybe they i don't know just wanted people to have music 
want people to go to shows, but not too many people to go to shows. <laughs> it's tough. There are too many people going. <laughs> not that there's too many people going. It's just too many people are paying idiotic yeah, prices. That's it. That's that's. The... That's a whole larger issue. to why our economy is not fixing itself. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's part of a bigger just... problem. Tickets. <laughs> uh, oh uh, well. Not um, to talk about the economy on our podcast, but <laughs> yeah. Where where did you say the Mezinger show was? So that's going to be at House of Independence. They're doing nice. four nights there. Oh my God. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they're playing the album in full. And I'm sure they'll have different B-sides every night. Uh, not not B-sides, but like different songs from yeah, yeah. their other albums. That sounds so fun. I can't wait. Damn, Grandma has to turn 80. Someday. <laughs> How rude of her. <laughs> <laughs> no, she rocks. I'm happy she's turning 80. <laughs> It'll be fun. But... I am going to be sad. I'm not going to that show. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, we have Drake and Mezinger's for next week. and I think I think the Mezinger's EP should be out. So they have, obviously, on the Impossible Pass, this is on the Possible Pass, and it's like uh, seven demos of the songs oh, that were cool. eventually would turn into that album. Like The whole thing's up on YouTube, and it's been up on YouTube for like 10 years. But it's so good, and I'm glad it's going to finally be on Spotify. Because you nice. hear like the bare bones of those songs and what they would eventually oh, turn out awesome. to be. I'm excited for that. Cool. And yeah, I'm sure we'll, we always wind up finding more albums than we thought. So we'll see. Yeah, we do. All I'm right. curious what our rap are going to look like this year. Like with all the album <laughs> listening we've had to do for the show, like can they even find like a top 10 because it's all over the place? <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting. That'll be, that'll be fun to break down. I love those things. I do too. I think. <laughs> They're starting to put it together like now. I think like your last, it was like an article I saw. It said like your last day to fix your wrapped is today. Oh, wow. If you want to get like songs you want on there, like <laughs> listen to them or pay, like pad the stats. <laughs> like pad the stats pretty much. That's crazy. Oh, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> I'm interested. Uh, all right. That's our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Tom Denny, for coming on. Uh, we love you all. And we'll talk to you next week. Put your feet there, Jabba, the forensic. <laughs>